Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here, and welcome to today's podcast. Hairdressing is often seen as a young person's industry, and I don't have any data on it, but my guess would be that the average person in this industry is probably in their late 20s or something close to it. Now, on one hand, that's a bad thing because it's reflective of the high turnover rates of staff in the industry who then go on to do other things. But on the upside, for those that stay in the industry, being surrounded by younger people keeps you exposed to new ideas, new ways of thinking and new ways of looking at the world. But having said all that, with age comes experience and wisdom. Now, of course, there are exceptions to the rule where you meet people who are stuck in a time warp and maybe should have got out a long time ago. But then there are others who have the ambition, the foresight and the courage to continually evolve and reinvent themselves. And that is a secret, I believe, of surviving long term in this industry. My guest on today's podcast is one such person. He is Sam Bricato from the New York-based salon bearing his name. And in today's podcast, we will discuss how Sam sees the industry evolving, how technology has impacted on his ever-evolving business, the changes in salon business models and product distribution, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Sam Bricato. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and uh, comfortably sitting at home in my apartment in New York. So it's nice and quiet, so we can share some good, good energy. Good. Well, it's great to have you here. As, as I was saying before the call, I, I wanted to have you on for, for a while. So it's good that we've finally got this opportunity to, to hook up. Um, now, Sam, a lot of people, obviously in the United States, a lot of people will know who you are. But I think I said to you before we hit the recording button, we get a, a lot of listeners from all over the world who perhaps don't know who Sam Bricato is. So can we just start off with an overview of you and your backstory? So who is Sam Bricato? Give us your Two-minute backstory. So I started uh, cosmetology school. I'm a, a native of New Orleans, Louisiana. I started in school in 1972. I graduated, went right to work in the salon. I have never done anything else but do hair. I started traveling in the early 70s, going over to mostly London, but a lot to Paris. And two to three times a year, running around with all the greats of the haircutting world in the early 70s. I opened my first salon. I built a huge company with 200 employees and sold that company in Louisiana in 2000. And my wife, Holly, and I, two kids, moved to New York in 2000, just in time for 9-11. And uh, after 9-11, then in 2008, we opened a salon, which is 15 years old now, in Soho in New York City. We have about 50 people on staff. Uh, we're a departmentalized salon. And I also am a formulator and a product development person. I've been making products right around 1988, 89. And so I sit here today still doing hair. I did a few clients yesterday. I'll do a couple maybe tomorrow. And uh, just loving the industry and just staying on pace with what's going on and, 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 and just in love with it. I'm, I'm a member of Intercoffure. Uh, I'm becoming one of the longest term members of Intercoffure. I'm on the board of Intercoffure and really uh, work very hard to make sure that the business beliefs that we have as a group and my own individual business beliefs are spread throughout the industry to continue to enrich everyone that comes in the industry and people that have been around it don't quite know what they're doing. They don't, they don't know where to plug in to get that information. So right. anyway, it's great to okay. be here. Okay. All right. Well, that's a, uh, you know, a really good example of what I was just talking about in the intro, that there's people in this industry that have been there a long time and the secret yeah. to their success is the fact that they evolve and reinvent themselves. And that's certainly something that, that you've done, as you've just sort of touched on so many different areas that you uh, are involved in and continue mm. to be involved in. So let me ask you this question. We'll jump straight into this one here. What is the, the biggest challenge that you see in the industry today? Because like me, you've been in the industry a long time. You've seen the industry change and evolve. And, um, you know, sometimes 
you look at people that have got that sort of level of experience where they've been in it for 30, 40 years like we have, and it's easy to look at them and say, you know, they're outdated, they're old school. But the reason we've survived is that we reinvent, that we, yeah. you know, we, we have some wisdom and we've learned some lessons along the way. So um, over to you, what's the biggest challenge that, that you see in the industry at the moment? Well, like I've always said to people that, uh, that uh, obviously the, the biggest piece of the, of the downside of the hardest are the people themselves. Customers, the guests that come in the salon, they're easy. But when it comes to the actual teams of people and the, and the people that actually work in our salons and we work side by side with, a lot of times I think our biggest challenge is we just get in between our ears. We get inside our head so much, there's so much drama. And I, when you tell someone that's really young that and try to explain it to them, you really have to tell them over and over again, here's what's actually happening. Because they don't really necessarily get it on the first time because they don't have a reference. They don't go, oh, this looks like that. Where mm -hmm. you and I can go, this looks like that five times over through a 50-year career. Mm -hmm. So um, in more specifically in the U.S., I mean, the whole thing with suites and booth rental, that kind of thrown a lot of people off. A lot of people reacted to that. And I'm a real big believer in pausing. You know, you get the stimulation, three people walked out or five people went to suite. But then all of a sudden you go pause and wait and wait, let the chaos spin and look for the point where you plug in and then you respond. So I think we don't have a level of, of calmness and maturity uh, on, a, on a widespread scale throughout our industry. But with that said, in the U.S., we have been over the last three or so years joining all the different pieces of the, of the industry together in meeting. I just had a meeting a month ago and it's like with the nail people, the skincare people, the massage people, the hair people, uh, the chain salons, we're all sit around a huge table and we're discussing how do we get this better as a group. So whenever COVID happens or whatever happens, we're really here to elevate it all. So on one hand, I'm super optimistic. I, I think this is the greatest, a great moment for us as, a, as an industry in some ways. Um, so I'm super op optimistic, but I do think there's some misinformation um, that's happening. I think we get preyed upon. Used to be, you know, you have a shopping center trying to get you to open a salon. And now <laughs> you have a suite, a group of suite renters, or not the, the renters, but the leasers that are going after 100, 200, 500 wholesale single hairdressers at a time, which many of them are in lawsuits today because they did, didn't stay uh, up on the lease. Okay. So that causes some some shaking at the foundation and we need to settle those things in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when you I mean, I think we both recognize that the sweet model it certainly has a place in the industry. I mm -hmm. mean, yeah. technology today and, and uh you know changing generational attitudes, it, it certainly has a place in the industry. But I think, you know, I don't know what your feelings are about this, but my thoughts are that as well as the fact that there is a place for the sweet industry, yeah. there is very definitely a place for the traditional commission-based salon that gives people more of a career path and is building a bigger business. But I think one of the things that have you know made the commission-based salon um, vulnerable, if that's the right word, over the last you know ten or fifteen years, is that it had got tired in a lot of cases, and that the commission-based yeah. salons also need to evolve. And I think that what's been happening with this sort of avalanche of people wanting to go independent is it's forcing commission-based salon owners to evolve and to look at that business model and go, okay, yeah. how can we change this? So um, talk to us about that. How, how has your business evolved and how do you see the, you know, the commission-based salons need to evolve going forward? Okay. So um, one tiny digression. I think that suites can be incredible incubators for future commission farms. I, mm. I believe that. I see it. I hear it. I yeah. have people tell me that. I think for, for my own experience, having been a salon owner for so many decades and really forced myself to try to be at the forefront of what's going on, uh, I'm an avid learner. I'm shifting rapidly from being interested in, I'm not interested in information. I'm inter interested in intelligence. I want real pure intelligence. It's actionable to intelligence because there's so much information. It just overwhelms us today. And so the things that I do is I literally, I literally walk through the salon and, and sometimes people say, what are you doing? I said, I'm imagining. 
and I will go in the, at the front door. I'll go to the desk. I'll go into the backwash area. I'll go wherever in the color department. And I imagine what could we apply from what I read and learned in the last few days about technology mm -hmm. and a customer service, whatever it may be. So just before we got on this call, Auntie, I text my savant IT guy who, who came into America, the very young man from Nepal and been like a child to us. And he, so he knows my business really well, although doesn't work inside of it. He's coming tomorrow for a brainstorming session. And we're going to spend a few hours specifically on the way to execute or leverage what's going on with AI. That's going to be our specific focus tomorrow. So I, I think that from a standpoint of how we change, change is something that comes obviously from the top. You know, people often will stop me and say, you're doing something really right here. They'll say that to our manager, they'll say to my wife, Holly, you're doing something really right here. But why would they say that? Because we're still cutting a straight line. We're mm -hmm. still, you know, we're doing a beautiful color. We do all those things. And, you know, in our salon, they, they like the little bit of stardust when they see maybe a A-list uh, uh, actress or someone. But what is it we're really doing and how is it we're staying relevant is we change the experience. When they walk in the door, they know someone is keeping this ecosystem alive. Mm. Things are growing. I mean, it could be a change in just one wall. It could be the movement of how our products are on sale. It could be the fact that we just installed this amazing uh, photo studio where we have a full-blown photo studio with a master photographer who's taught some of our people to do aftershock. We still do the booth. We do the, the ring lights and all that. I think that a lot of it is a, it's about constantly gathering intelligence and being a leader and separate enough that you, that you're thinking about how to apply it with no drama, uh, no fear, no pushing people like you, know, you read about the Amazon company saying, no, you got to come back to the office. You know, it's just to stay in, in tune. I find it to be fluidity is a lot more important now and a lot a lot more. Our business is good. I mean, I, I hear people say awful things about New York. I'm looking around going, mm, that's not us. Yeah. That's not what we're experiencing. It's just not. Do we have home? Yeah. We have challenges like everybody else to be in the town, in the city, but we don't have those challenges. I mean, almost once a week, I get a welcome Mo, the new assistant in the cutting department to our team. I get two, one yesterday, one the day before um, because people coming in. Okay. So in terms of, I, I get it how you're always evolving that client experience, which is part yeah. of it. Yeah. What about the other part of it with your team? How do your, you know, the buzzword today, when you talk to like, if you, we, we touched on suites and if you talk about young people and you say to them, like, why do you want to go independent? Why do you want to go and work in a suite? The words, the, the most common word will be flexibility. Um, you know, they want yeah. flexibility, they want control, and they uh, think they're going to be able to keep all the money. And, you know, th they soon learn that they don't get to keep all the money. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they have, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have some control, uh, but now they're answerable not to a boss and they're answerable to a landlord and they're answerable to, you know, a bank manager, etc. So no one has 100% complete control. There's always people that we're answerable to. But let's talk about that flexibility piece of the puzzle um, because a lot of commission-based salons are are looking at okay if people want to leave because of the perception of there's no flexibility working in a traditional based salon um, mm -hmm. commission-based salons are having to go okay how can we make our business more flexible for our team so that they realize they don't have to leave to get this flexibility around their schedules and that sort of stuff. Have you, have you done anything in your business to sort of, you know, in, integrate that more into how staff work? Well, I, I'd answer that and start by saying, be flexible, really be flexible. Giovanna, who is a wonderfully talented person that's been trained massively to cut and blow dry, just fabulous work. She works maybe one or two days a week and does beautiful work. And we love having her there. So be flexible and really give up the schedules. It takes uh, it takes five people to do what usually one person with schedule used to do. I think mm. one of the differences is that the perception of leadership and how closely we're being watched 
You know, my son said something to me the other day about something that happened 25 years ago. And I said, you remember that? And I was like, you remember that? He goes, yeah, dad, I remember exactly. So the, you're being watched as a mentor. So I, I think that it's important that you, that you keep in mind that you're sending this constant message out. The old Sam, I was interested in the American dream of capitalism and scaling. Mm. I'm still interested in the scaling, but I want to scale the culture. And I want a message to the, everyone in there. Our culture is one of flexibility, transparency, constantly finding a way to fine tune, you know, how the business is run so that we're optimizing our ability to uh, share the, the wealth with everyone and knowing that my job as a leader of the salon is to constantly focus first on the people that work there. And I mean, it's just some of that stuff. We message it through our eight meetings a year. We do them in the salon. We do them live. We have a very specific agenda, uh, four or five pages typed out exactly what we're going to talk about. And we message the things we want them to hear. Uh, in 15 years of being here, and I sh probably shouldn't say this, I'll jinx myself. In 15 years of being in, in Manhattan, we only recently, about eight months ago, had some people, a few people leave and stay in town. Everyone that leaves always leaves and moves away because they just can't take it and are tired and worn out by New York City. Yeah. Um, so when people say New York's tough, they, you know, it is extremely tough, but it also has a unique sort of shield around it because mm -hmm. once you get your energy and your culture and things flowing correctly, you just have to show up and make sure that you're constantly polishing that old thing, keep it operating. And always looking around and listening to people around you, talking to people, the salon owners, other salon owners. I'm friendly with about seven salon owners at all in my area. We're constantly texting each other, you know, about this and that. And, and so I just think that it's, you have to be really plugged in and listening. On one end, you're listening to everything that's outside of the salon that your team may be reading or hearing or knowing about. And then on the other hand, you're inside the salon culture and listening and, and understanding what their needs are. And don't let someone leave and let it not be a lesson. What a shame, you know, that someone would, I don't have, if someone leave, not wish them well. How could dare? Could we do that? I mean, I left my job. And, and so who am I to say? I don't want to be a hypocrite. You got to have people leave. Um, but you just have to keep it honored and fresh. And finally, I'll say this. Be damn careful who, who has the ability to walk in your front door that's not paying customers. Mm. Meaning staff. Meaning uh, be careful who you employ. Yes, definitely be careful who you employ. But I'll give you an example. We had a little thing yesterday with a, a, a scissor, a person selling and promoting scissors. Mm. And the bottom line is the person, terrible representation of professionalism, not necessarily towards us, but in that person's own presentation. So it could be someone at sales, it could be someone in you know, distribution, it could be someone in education. I mean, we are extremely cautious about who we allow to come into our ecosystem. And because we, you know, I, I say this, Anthony, and I, I, I know that some people think I'm an arrogant SOB. I don't need hardly anything anybody else has to offer that I don't do self-discovery on, on and with my team on behalf of our culture. I don't. You know, when someone calls and you know, I get a, information from some big company. We've got some special things for you. I'm like, I, I just don't think I need it. If you want to send me what you think that is, I'll look at it, but I don't think I need it. Mm. What I need is I need is devoted customers to a beautiful brand and a team of people that come in, giving it all, live as long in the culture as they can and leave it better than they found it when they got there. And we all be fine because we're constantly learning from each other and growing and moving forward. I've done that 54 years. And I, you know, every time I say, I think I'm going to slow down and stop. I just keep, we just keep going. Holly and I look at each other and go, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> let's, okay. let's, let's sign on another year or two years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, 54 years. What the heck? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So aside from the salon side of things, uh, yeah. anyone who knows Sam Bricato, uh, knows that there's a very strong affiliation between you and Interquafure. Um, Interquafure, you know, great organization all around the world, but just like a salon, it ages. 
Mm. And the challenges, I mean, I'm not, I was actually when I had salons in Australia, I was part of Interquifuel then, but I'm not a member of Interquifuel now. But I've always recognized that the challenges that any organization, just like a salon has, is staying relevant to a new generation, staying younger to a new generation. So what about organizations like Interquifuel? How do you see them evolving over the next, you know, 10, 15 years so that they do stay relevant because they play an enormously important role in the salon industry. And you sort of touched on something before you said, I pick up the phone and I talk to several different salons constantly. And it's that word community and Interquifuel is about community. And it, it fills a very, you know, positive sort of role in the salon industry. So just talk to us about that, how you see organizations like that evolving and what their, you know, relevance is in the industry today. Well, you know, I had someone told me the other day, he said, quote, Intercopio is on fire right now. And I went, oh, great. I'm glad to hear that. The U.S. Uh, chapter, we're, we're really, uh, have a lot of new members coming in. I think there's a misunderstanding about Intercopio relative to some other uh, association. We don't want, or I don't should say we don't want 700 members. I don't know that there are 700 members that could sit around the table and agree upon the same things that we agree upon because we have some very specific things that we want to see done. And that's probably most importantly, we're run like a traditional business in that um, we have employees that work for us and and that work for the company. So I we're probably, you know, I think we're around 225 members representing how many tens of thousands of employees right now. So we're in a really nice spot. Can, will we continue to grow and lose, grow and lose? And yeah, we will. But I think the, the thing to keep it young is keep a fresh group of people coming in, listening to their opinions, in which we do. All the people, the new people coming in, 90% of them are 30 years old, 32, you know, in that age range. And, um, for me personally, because I am on the board and I have been on for a little while, that's part of our goal is just to make sure that we stay relevant, giving great business information. And we have an event coming up in October. We're going to be in Chicago together. And we have, we're scheduling two separate sessions for our board to talk about how dynamic the moment is in the industry itself. We're going to be from Saturday morning from 8 to 2 and Tuesday from 8 to 2. And that's not typical for us because and it isn't because uh, the problems, it's just that we feel that there are massive changes happening and we want to make sure that our organization is staying at pace with them. Um, so, and we, you know, I feel strongly that there needs to be more and more organizations. And I said to you earlier, we're sitting around the table with seven or eight different groups and the heads of those groups, the nail people, the skin care, the massage people. And we're sharing as much information as we possibly can, whether it's on licensing, um, because you know, you have you have a license in every all these different states. Um, we're trying to get it where your driver's license is like your salon license. You can go anywhere and work. Um, I have a son that's been licensed in five states. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt to do it. So I think that you know what we're learning is there are a lot of people coming to us and and they're trying to understand how you're under like your third generation. A lot of people like third, fourth generation of family members that are running this prosperous business and. Pittsburgh or in Philadelphia or in Atlanta, wherever it may be. How has that happened? That's not an accident. Yeah, there are times where it gets a little moribund. It gets a little, you know, drudgery. But then all of a sudden, there's the spice of youth and new people coming in. And we're very aware of that. So that's part of our goal is to make sure that the old guys and girls step aside and let let the new people step in. Um, But we do hold steady to the core belief that we would rather have a salon with 15 to 30 people in it and that that is a good, healthy, cultural situation um, for everybody involved, opposed to just being independent booth runners and suite runners. Okay. I mean, I I know a little bit about Interquifure. I certainly don't know a lot about it. But one of the things I noticed in the United States is that Interquifure is stronger than it is in a lot of other countries. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm curious as to why you think that is like, like why is it? I know you still grapple with the same issues, but it, it, it does seem to be stronger there. Is it because there's more of a business focus? Yeah. 
uh, in large part because, so the meeting will have, uh, in, in a few weeks, I just signed up yesterday, but it will, in, in Chicago, it'll be 80% uh, fashion, beauty, hair, styling, uh, very membership driven. One of the things is we're getting back to the members spending more stay time on the stage, mm-hmm. showing and telling each other, and we bring in some guests. Um, and then the spring one is totally business. We don't want to bring people that are stylists or anything. It's all about managers. And, and owners sharing really good, pure knowledge about what we're doing. We have an open door policy amongst us all. If someone wants to come visit, if someone needs to have a phone call or whatever, we're, we're wide open for that. And uh, it's been that way forever. And, you know, Anthony, in, in 1977, I went to Atlanta to visit Jameson Shaw. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a hot shot. You know, I had long hair. I was cutting. I was busy as hell. I thought I was just the best. So I was doing $400 a day behind the chair and Sarah, uh, 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 James's wife says, Sam, come here, look at this. And she has the old machine where she taps in the numbers and just it pulls a little lever down and holds up things. And I never forget looking at that. And it said $3,980 or whatever it was. And she looked at me and she said, Sam, that's just Jameson mm. for one day. Yeah. And that's in when? nineteen seventy. 77. <laughs> and I went, yeah. my head just, oh. yeah. Yeah. so part of what happens inside of Intercoffure mm. is they're the nuggets of people that are like, no, you know, it's actually, this is, you know, this is the way it is. And by the way, I, I won't name names, but we just recently had a couple of the most elite American, not American born, but American longtime super stylists, salon owners have uh, reapplied to, to join or rejoin us. And, and it's because there's an understanding and, and we see this through a lot of the business education, like what you do. I mean, I'm, the what stuff that you're doing is just amazing to teach people how to read those numbers. You have to read the tea leaves. And I think we're part of what in the car field, we're not trying to claim to be that. We're more about saying, oh, this is Sam's financial statement and here's how he's controlled cost of goods or, or the front desk or whatever. We're not trying to create necessarily strict business measures that if you know people like you to do that's what we love but we are trying to say that your bottom line is three percent and our average bottom line is 14 <laughs> percent there's something in there that that's a disconnect i'm using those as general numbers but those are probably not too far off yeah. and there's also in the intercoffee there's a measure of maturity that has to deal with anyone that's not one of us so when I started in the coffee, nobody came inside the meeting that wasn't a, a salon owner, a, a part of the inner sanctum. Nobody, no manufacturer, nobody, nobody. Mm-hmm. And we're moving a closer to that to a certain degree. And the reason is because we offer a lot of value to manufacturers by way of interacting with us, but we can't do it if they're trying to hold the stick and guide everything all the time. Mm-hmm. So we're very cautious about that. And I'll close with this comment about it in coffee, other than I just think it's a wonderful organization. That one moment, I've said a million times, that one moment where I saw what Jameson was doing, that changed my trajectory of income and finances forever, forever. So we're really building a foundation for a future. And, um, and, and now that the leadership in Mondial in, in Paris has changed, this is just an exciting time for us. We're really collaborating more on a global scale. Um, and I don't think people see us as much as, you know, the, oh, those Americans, you know, they're also full of themselves, which is actually historically very true. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. I, you know, I didn't understand it a lot when I was younger, but now I, I, I got it. I got it. Anyway. Okay. Um, so many things there to go back to. Uh, one of them was you and I used to speak on Clubhouse during yes. – uh, COVID, we had some great conversations on Clubhouse. Um, and one of the things that I, I remember talking about was product distribution on a Clubhouse you know, meeting that we had. And it was quite a, a really good discussion. It was about the time where Amazon was starting to get involved in product uh, distribution. But before, I, before we talk about that, I want to come to that in a minute. I've, I've always remembered that every time I talk to you, you talk about education and your own education. And I know you take yourself off and you go to university and you do courses and you, you know, you're always learning. And, and that's mm-hmm. a, a, about stuff that is, you know, 
obviously there's relevance to it, but I know yeah. you've done education, you've done branding courses, you've done all, you, you yeah. go out. You don't just sit there behind the chair and hope the business is going to grow, that you're always evolving as an individual and always taking time out of the salon to educate yourself. Just talk to us about that first. And then I want to come back to that uh, thing about product distribution and Amazon okay. and how you see the future of that. Yeah. So one of the things I used to talk about a long time ago is that uh, is I have to burn, burn the bridges and sink the ships, get on the island of beauty and stay there. That, that's my world. And, and so I always look forward and I say, okay, you know, when will I retire? What will I do? What will the next 10, 20, 30 years look like? So part of my education has to do with what I call the sitting down effect. I'm not going to stand there. I, you know, yesterday I, I saw one client. I did Aaron's hair. I sold her great retail. She loved her hair. She just really loves it. She said, I love coming here, blah, 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 blah. All beautiful. I love that. I feed off of that. But I can't feed off of that <laughs> a lot, lot longer. My body just would like not do it. Mm -hmm. So my education is based on what will feed my soul and my professional life for in perpetuity forever until the day I die. I mean, so, uh, during COVID I spent 350 hours online getting certified as a organic certified formulator of hair care, skin care. I did additional branding courses, which I've done FIT here, branding courses. Um, so I did a, a global entrepreneurship brand certificate. Those are the things that I work on. Now I'm able to not only continue to make and grow in that direction, I can sit down and write a recipe out and actually mix stuff up mm. and sell it and enjoy the process, enjoy the income. And I don't have to stand up to cut hair and do it. Not that I don't want to cut hair. Anybody can tell you that's my happy space still. Which yeah, got yeah. So anyway, education to me is just, as I mentioned, there's a, there's a very important nuance that I'm right in the middle of it. I don't want information. I want intelligence. And I think that part of that is maybe we'll get to that in a minute as it relates to some of the changes that are going on in the world. Mm. But information is, oh, hurry up, Google that. And mm. so you said, you know, I'll figure that out. But mm. now the answer is, oh, I know that now. I know that now because I know where to go to get a really, really pure answer that's just very intelligent. And mm. intelligent information to me is a really uh, important piece of the transformation of an individual and, our, and which is our businesses. I am my business and my business is me, you know, and I'm lucky right now. Again, we don't want to, we don't want to scale. We don't want to own more salons. You know, the only way I get involved is let's say if you put together eight or 10 salons and you sold them as a group mm. and participated in that type of thing. Otherwise yeah. I'm looking at succession and, and that sort of thing. And all those things cause me to have to continue to stay out there doing the research, talking to the people that have, you know, either stayed with their businesses, maybe they sold some of their business or, or they sold control and interest, but they've kept their finger on it. Uh, so those are the kind of things that drive me when it comes to education. I've always been just, just super curious. Mm, I just, cur yeah, you know, that's yeah, it. it's, that's cu it. it's curiosity. curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't always do a lot with it, but it's, it's like, it's like taking a pan and, and going in the dirt and little streams and you find one tiny little piece of gold. Yeah. Well, that little tiny piece of gold is, you know, it's pure gold. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, took no, me that's 10, good. 10 pans, yeah. <laughs> but I got that, it. That, that's, I had a conversation with someone the other day, actually it was with my wife and I was saying to her that we were talking about somebody else, um, nothing to do with the industry. And we were saying, you know, the thing that that person lacks is ambition. And yeah. like, like, cause they're not short of opportunity. They're, mm -hmm. they're not short of, you know, resources and stuff around them, but there's no ambition. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it just was it's that real sort of bam for me of like the most important gift you can have in life is ambition to want to be and do something more yeah. than you are. And yeah, and like, again, when you were just talking then and you said curiosity and that's it, it's having curiosity about how you can do this better. And you've just given so many examples of that. So let, let's go back into that product discussion thing yeah. uh, briefly, because as you've said, you can go and mix up your own products and stick them in a bottle and actually sell them. And you're on that process from beginning to end because you were curious enough to become educated about that. Right. Um, 
product distribution is changing, just like salon business models are changing. Uh, what are your thoughts? And you're a player in the market. You have your own product line. What are your thoughts about the future of product distribution and how it's evolving and changing? And, and it has to, because as you have all this technology, it will always find different ways to, you know, products will find different ways to market because of it. So um, over to you. So first off, I think that one of the most valuable things and the reason I think that the salon industry, the professionals, and to a certain degree, the professional distribution systems, we are the future of luxury. Uh, the human touch is going to become ever more important. I don't want to get rid of my front desk. I want to augment it. I want to fine tune it. I want more touch, not less touch. I can find two, two points. I could, I'd earn a shave off the, you know, onto the bottom line by getting rid of that. I don't, that's not how I'm looking at it. I'm saying, how can I optimize the humanness of it all? So how that relates to distribution is I personally think the, the traditional distributor is going to stay in place to a point, but it's like you're hearing over and over again, AI is not going to take your distribution job. It's someone that's using AI that's going to take your distribution job. It's someone that's leveraging AI to the betterment of their front desk, not trying to get rid of these wonderful people that are just complete painfully human sometimes. Mm. <laughs> so to me, I don't think that'll go away, but I do think that we're at the dawn of a time where making something and I'm not, I'll, I'll pick on someone really big. Let's say like maybe L'Oreal because their numbers are so massive and they can make something for a dollar, sell it for $8. And then it sells again for $16 and then it sells again for a double add out. Mm. Somewhere between a dollar and $8, there's gotta be more. Mm. And so there's, so one of the things that bothers me about the traditional distribution and even the whole manufacturer thing. And I just did an experiment, by the way, Anthony. I did it for six months. I gave a 30% commission. Dollar one, anything sold in the salon. And it was the 80-20 rule. 20% roughly took advantage of it. 80% didn't. I'm not finished with that because I know the margins afford it. They afforded it. All the large companies, they can tweak those margins. And now they're changing their business models where what 10 people used to do now that you got to do it with two or three, mm -hmm. you get even better margins, you know, if you're watching the business news. So I think that each is single product delivery, four products, seven products, as that becomes shrunk to a point where it's viable and it can be deliverable and people can look, I have a young, a brother that they have style. He'll go to the store three times a week and pick up a couple items and do a six or eight heads of hair a day. And he'll have, what do you need? Well, there'll come a point soon where he'll be able to just get on his phone or his laptop or whatever and punch it in and it'll be delivered to him. And it won't cost him $12 for something that costs $1 to make. It'll cost him a number that's probably a little more balanced, let's call it, <laughs> something a little more user-friendly. The part of the reason I got into making products to start with was because Holly and I were really good friends with Paul Mitchell and, and JP at that time. Mm. And Paul suggested, he's the one that said, look at this. He says, we're making this bottle of shampoo for 34 cents. I said, what? And I'm paying the distributor for it. Oh, this boy. He goes, no, nah. I said, the cap is two cents. The bottle just the fill's eight cents. I was like, no, come on, really? And he, they laid it all out. That was it. When I saw that, I, there was no going back. Now that's the capitalistic capitalist in me. Yeah. But yeah. then what it, what it came to become more was that I want to control my destiny. And I will tell anyone that's listening to this, and you think you want to make your own products, I'll tell you the single barrier to entry. Being able to make small amount of products means being able to get your hands on super high quality, best, best, best ingredient in small quantities. Not easy to do mm -hmm. because there's a lockout to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. I can get it because I buy it. You know, I have Together Beauty, which we buy in 30 and 50,000 quantities. But I can get, if I want a kilo of pure um, uh, product, whatever it may be, I can get it. And most of the time, I can get it for free. So I can sit in my lab and I can practice mm -hmm. with it. It's really difficult to get small quantities of stuff. Not impossible. It takes some time. You have to mm -hmm. be patient. Keep it very small. Don't try to do too much at once. Stick to one thing, you know, one or two things that you want to do. And uh, anyway, I get so excited about this because 
I so believe that the level of waste that goes on in the forms in our industry or on the beauty industry and all these things, we can control that. We can tighten that up, but it, the model's got to change. Um, mm. When you were saying a minute ago um, that you gave 30% commission on, yeah. on product. Yeah. Was that your own product, not another brand that you're selling? Yeah, it's both a combination of my original, the original Bricado brand, which right. um, I no longer affiliate with, although I still sell it because I made it. They're great right. products. And now it is a Together Beauty, that brand. And obviously part of it is because I've worked the numbers with the margins, so yeah. the margins are larger. Sure. Yeah, got it, got it. But what, okay. what I did have to do on that, Anthony, is I left the 30%, but I, I, I put a must-hit level in because mm. people were not taking, they didn't, they weren't, understanding how valuable it could be to them and their income because the people look at income as dollars or mm. pounds, whatever it may be, euros. Mm. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as percentages. Mm. And, and to me, when I look at my financial statement, I will look at the percentages, I look at the columns, and that's where I'd figure out how I push the levers, pull the levers, and do the things that need to be done. And that's when I turn to someone to have a conversation with whoever it may be. It could be a young eight-week employee it's like, I need to make more money. And, and I say to them, how much are you making? Well, I, I don't know. You know, my paycheck, blah, blah, blah. So what do you tell them? And I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, but everybody needs to tell all their people to go into AI, drop in their zip code, their total income. Don't lie to yourself. That's the biggest lie we tell. Tips, total income, and ask for a budget based on that zip code because that's important. If you're in New York, you're not going to have a car. And once you have that document, then you can go in and have an honest conversation with the people you work with and work for and say, look, I'm making 48, really need to find a way to get to 54. And so to me, I'm jumping ahead about how I'm using AI, but um, yeah, that's, no, that's, that, that's good. I haven't, uh, I was going to ask, that's exactly what I was about to ask you about was, was how do you see AI being used in the industry? And that's, a, I've not heard of anyone using it the way you've just alluded to. And I think that's, that's very interesting. So, yeah. so what else do you see uh, AI? What sort of areas are you using it in the salon? Or like you said at the beginning, when you said you walk into the salon and people said, what are you doing? And you said, I'm imagining. I mean, I love that. Yeah, um, I am. Yeah. What, what, what do you imagine about AI and how it's going to impact on how we run our businesses in the future? Well, I think on the most extreme end of it is the uh, is a, the idea of robots. I, it's not a it's not lost on me that there is a haircut done by a guy who built a little robot. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's got seven point seven million views. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know where that humanoid robot steps in and does these precision haircuts and all that people talk about, or the fact that you know the interface of if they're sentient and they can really feel the emotions and really understand like yesterday I was talking to Aaron. She really had some scalp problems. She was embarrassed by it. 50 year old woman. I said, Aaron, look, this is what I do. This is what I love. I want to help you solve this problem. I want you to get these two products. I want you to be back in here in four weeks, book an appointment. You don't even have to pay. I just want to know we're going to solve your pain problem. Mm -hmm. So part of that is, is, is the analytics that need to be done. And some of the computers, you know, there's some things that are going to be done with holding them in the scalp and look at the health of the scalp. Um, you know, a lot of that will play into how we run our day-to-day -day interaction with the customers. I think that the idea of some of the smart mirror concepts, I think they still have quite a ways to go. I listened to your interview on that. Yeah. And, and I, I get it. I looked at it closely. And I think there's still some stuff that needs to be done there to make it a little, I, I'm not sure I shouldn't say too much because I really haven't actually experienced it. Um, I think that if, if you're the manager, you should be taking your sanitized numbers, schedules, anything like that, and dropping it in Claude, chat, wherever, put it in and studying prompts so that you understand how to ask the question in a way that says, okay, here are my schedules for the week for 38 people. What can I do to create some efficiency here that would give me a better compression of time and revenue per hour based on the fact that these 38 people range enough that what they charge is from $200 to $25. So, you know, I, 
I think though that's an example of, mm. of where do you something that I did right when I started uh it was the first week of December uh when Chat GPT 3.5 came out. I took a 2016 financial statement, I sanitized it. Uh, so, and what I mean is I want to make sure that nothing's on there that could track it necessarily to me other than it came from my computer. <laughs> yeah, okay. Which is quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I put that in, I put the statement in, yeah. and I asked a series of questions, uh, and I got about 11 key points back that were really, really helpful. So as far as, uh, as, far as the financial statement, that, that was kind of what I was talking about, sanitizing sanitizing your documents as much as possible. Just remember, managers, owner, whoever you are, that if you ask something, it, it goes on a, somewhat a permanent record. It goes out into the universe. On one hand, you're enhancing what the, what the machines can do. Yeah. But on the other hand, you really are getting uh, intelligence that is just really completely uh, unbelievably accurate. And the speed with which it returns uh, information to you is unbelievable. I have every month for at least six months, sometimes two and three times a month, often to three or four platforms, asked specifically, what's the future of a professional hair colorist, hairstylist, a business owner, salon, blah, 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 blah. And every single time I get the same basic answer that computer, uh, uh, AI is not capable of taking our jobs. Mm. So I, I, I'll tell you, the way to understand if your job is at stake. You go in and you write down three, seven, or 10 prompts, uh, questions, and say, these are the things I do. Now, return to me in code those things. Mm -hmm. And then you take the code and you dump it back in and say, now, take this code and perform my job. So if you say, do a five-point haircut or an asymmetrical bob, or, or a long layered cut, mm. it'll come back and say, lift here, cut here, part here, wash clean, da, 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 da. Now convert that into code. It'll convert it into code. And then, then you can make an app and blah, blah, blah. But then you say, now, could you give me a demonstration of the haircut or the mm. color? No, I'm a large language model. I can't mm. do that. I can't yeah, cut yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, let, we need to start wrapping up shortly, but I want to get your insights on different business models. We started talking about this at the very beginning where we were talking about commission-based and sell on suites, et cetera. Yeah. Um, the independent things had a lot of growth all over the world, not just in the US. It looks different in different countries, but it's it's still independent, self-employed. Mm -hmm. um, what and maybe there's been like, you know, COVID sort of messed up the figures a little bit as well. But without a doubt, there's been an avalanche of people moving in that direction. So what I wanted to ask you about is where do you see that now? Has it settled down? I mean, it's it's virtually impossible to get reliable data on it as to how many people that move into a suite, for example, survive. And you hear yeah. numbers that float around and, and you're never sure how reliable they are. But I'm, I'm hearing that 40% of suites don't last 12 months. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But if enough people say it, you start to wonder. What are your thoughts about that? What do you see in the industry with all your contacts and stuff as to where, where that the whole thing's going to settle and what business models are going to prosper and, and what will not? Yeah. So I think the first comment on that is a good and smart business person will figure out how to make money based on how they run the numbers and, and how they show up to get the work done. Optimizing the per ticket, minimizing the cost. Uh, it's just basic math. And the great thing is in our business, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, we open and close our business every day. We don't run it. You know, I have accounts receivables on products and stuff like that that have to do with my product company. But when it comes to the services, it's a day-to-day -day thing. This is not hard to do to make money in our business. Most people just outlive their cash. They spend it because they think they're all of a sudden wealthy. Well, they start acting like they're wealthy customers who really are wealthy and have, yeah, yeah. you know, $13,000 bags and all that. Honey, you may be talking to her and you may be getting more money than you have, and you have no idea how much money that people have. So here, I'm, I'm going to read you a very quick, I just got this from a leading executive that's left one of the leading suite groups uh, in the U.S., and she wrote me this uh, maybe four days ago. Um, yes, she's answering about the future of the business. 
yes, he sees the human touch. He says, I see the sweet style salon growth flowing dramatically. Mm. People want to be around people after the COVID years. I'm seeing traditional salons popping back up, stylists from suites joining forces and opening five to eight chair salons. Mm. So that's from someone who's just spent eight years and someone I've known actually for roughly 20 years. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, one opinion. Another uh, one I have that I got yesterday was about how many lawsuits are being filed by, by suite company owners that this particular person, uh, someone you actually know, has friends that invested in real estate to build out suite, and now they're having to go in and suing in her quote up to 50% of the people that walked away from their suite that didn't pay the bill because they didn't understand what they were signing. People, you know, people say to me, God, you have such a great business here. And I say, yeah, I have a really expensive lease. Mm. <laughs> you know, I signed for $3.9 million over the next whatever years and whatever. So I'm a real believer that uh, we can make money as long as our taxation is not too bad and stuff like that. Wherever we are in the world, just be determined to, you know, have more money than month. I think I've heard it say a lot of times mm, mm. and just work the program. I'm really not against uh, booth rental. I'm not against suites. Mm. Uh, I am in most in favor of commission salons because I've mm. seen what it does uh, and not just for my own build, build, ability to build wealth but for the wealth and goodness of all the people that work for us. When COVID hit us, Anthony, we jumped on it family stock. And we sent out every Friday a check to everybody that worked for us, including a young person that started working for us three days before shutdown. We had a GoFundMe set up. We were spreading the money out to everybody. And I just think that we need to look probably more than ever at the fact that the beauty industry is a place that people will come to to have that touch, to have that connection. And we need to have a sense of community that really is, is interpretable by the person that's experiencing it. And I don't know if that answers your question. But yeah, that. no, that's very, very interesting. I like, you know, what you're saying. And it all sort of makes sense. I mean, a lot of people yeah. have talked about the, you know, the pendulum swinging back. And I mean, as we both said, you know, there's a place for sweets without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a model that works for a lot of people, but there's a lot of people that go into. I, I met someone a couple of years back now, and she came up to me in tears, and basically she was paying sixty percent of her revenue in rent uh, yeah. for the suite. Now, meaning yeah. that she was, it, it wasn't that she was paying too much rent, but she wasn't producing enough revenue to to be yeah. in that sort of situation, sure. and just the naivety with which people sometimes open up a business and they forget that that's what they're doing. They're opening up a business, a business there, unit. Of there are people here in Manhattan that are paying $250 a square foot. For in a suite. Yeah. In a suite. Yeah. 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 yeah it so is. whatever you divide the 250 by 12, whatever that is, that, yeah. that's how much you're paying. Yeah. That is not what I pay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You can rent a yeah. thousand square feet here for 85 to 105 a foot, yeah. which is still a lot. Yeah. then you could have a bunch of people working with you. Yeah. It just, so per square, it, per square foot, it is probably the most expensive business. Model, I think so. Per square foot. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, it and, sounds uh, like you're thinking like I'm thinking is that it, the pendulum yeah. starting to swing back and it'll find a healthy place in the middle uh, that works for everybody. And, and understanding what the things that draw down the most against your profit are your cost of occupancy costs mm. and cost of paying people. Uh, cost of goods. Mm. Those are the things that draw the most together. Of course, taxes, mm, but yeah, those draw yeah. against your profitability the most. So watching occupancy costs as what they do is they, oh, I'm doing $3,000 a month and I only have to pay six or $700 a month in rent and blah, 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 blah. And I can take more time off. But they don't really do the math with the percentages for us. Mm. They do it with the dollars and dollars don't tell the truth. Mm. <laughs> percentages do it. Yeah, they tell yeah. the real I, this is how much I spend. If I call my accountant and I say, I'm looking at 2.7% here on credit card fees and I can't pay 2.7%. What do we yeah. have to do? Then I don't need to look at how much that meant in dollars. Yeah. I just need to know that 2.7 doesn't work. It's yeah. got to be 1.75 to 2% maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess credit card fees are probably similar worldwide, right? They are, yeah. yeah. Any, anywhere between, say, 1.5 and 3 
yeah. you know, seems to be where it sits. So, yeah. Okay, well, listen, we, we need to start uh, wrapping up, but I've got a, a couple of short, uh, you know, quick-fire answers. Um, if you're a salon owner listening to this, what what three, I'm going to ask for three, what three bits of advice would you give them? Number one is go it on your own, at least for the first four months, six months, eight months. Don't take that person that's working next to you now. They're going to, if they want to come with you, they'll come with you later. Mm-hmm. You need to go on your own and figure out all the things. So when they step in there, they're not there. They understand you're the leader. Um, I think the second thing is be well financed. And I don't mean you have to have tons and tons of money, but if you don't have probably a year's worth of your basic needs put aside, including mm-hmm. rent, uh, you probably are risking something because you sign a lease, let's say with a one year, I, I call it a kick out. You sign for a year, but you have an option for five. So you'd sign for one, you go to four, but at one, you can kick out and leave. So if you protect yourself going in, then there's a chance you, you'll realize, you know what? I love, I love Anthony. I want to go back home. Can I come home or not? And you'll be fine. Yeah. And I think the third thing would have to do with uh, having a very stern conversation with all of your vendors saying, I cannot, I, I, I don't want to have to pay, uh, you know, Full price. I'm starting off as a new business. I already know I'm an underdog because the chances of survival are small. Mm. So I, I need to narrow it down and maybe just one or two brands that I want to work with. And I want to know what the top six or eight or nine moving products are in those brands. And I want to, to know that maybe shipping's free and I get an ongoing agreement that I get a 5% or 10 some sort of a discount that gives you some breathing room. And knowing that your inventory is sunk money, but it can be very profitable. So I would say those are the kind of three things. You know, there is a fourth thing is go where the money is. Go where the population is. If you can go, make sure you understand, is there a 1%, 2% earners in my region mm-hmm. that can support the ticket I want to charge? And if there are there, if that, that demographic exists, um, is anybody already eaten that lunch? in a way that I'm going to have a hard time beating them. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Strategic, some strategic planning. Yeah. All Simple right. strategic planning. Okay. Um, 50, how many years in business? 54. 54. Okay. 54 years in business. Uh, one, one lesson. What would be the biggest lesson that you've learned? Actually, it doesn't have to be a business lesson. It can be a life lesson, but if you had to pass on one lesson, what would it be? I would say try your very best to get where you want to be. And I think you and I, Anthony, are both trying to broker in this role. Um, You know, I had an amazing thing in Louisiana, almost 200 employees, $7 million in sales. And we decided if it ain't broke, break it. Let's Mm -hmm. just break it and let's try something totally new in our lives and our world. Um, In hindsight, maybe I should have kept that and still moved to New York. Mm. And, and found a way to have that team there. Um, so I would say find a place you want to be for a very long time and, and sort of build your fortress there. Build, your, build the place that you want your family to grow and you want your nurture your friendships as much as possible. Mm. Um, that would probably be it. I'm, I, I'm not, I mean, have fun. Mm. I mean, we're, we are definitely pioneers and explorers in our, our household. Um, have fun, but just realize that, you know, building a, building a business that really uh, does well, it's not easy, mm, you know, no, and I mean, I've, yeah. but I will say that old thing about redistribution of wealth. I mean, we came to New York. We had no, I never, I've never had a job in New York City. I didn't have a clientele. I have business knowledge and I understood and loved my industry. So I wasn't afraid of it. Even when it was, we opened in this summer of 2008 when it was horrible. And so make sure that your passion to stay with it is there and, you know, spend less money than, than you make. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, last thing, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite business book you've read that you'd recommend to someone else? Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, earlier, I can't believe you kind of forgot the, the real name of it, but it's called The Art of Business and it's by Max. Oh, I'm sorry, The Art of Leadership. Not business. Holly keeps correcting me. The art, the art of leadership. And I have given this book away many, many times and read it many, many times. It's by Max Dupree, D-E-P-R-E-E, I think. Um, 
It is just a simple little book. Any hairdresser can read it. It's double spaced, but it just gets right in to the importance of having a covenant of agreement about what we're going to do, the level of quality we're going to create, what our responsibility is to the community and to one another. And I started reading that book long, 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 25 plus years ago. Okay. Uh, so that'd be one. It's still out there. I'll check it out. Oh, okay. yeah. It's a, it's a very popular book. Okay. So look, we need to wrap up. Um, okay. where, whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social yeah. media channels? So on Instagram, it's just at Sam Bricotta. And if you want to follow our salon, which I would really love, is uh, at Sam Bricotta Salon. And sambricottasalon.com is our website. You can find all the Together Beauty stuff, including signing up. You know, but it's, but Together Beauty is my beauty brand. That's a separate togetherbeauty.com. Okay. As a professional, you can go on there and sign up and, and get a 30% commission for recommending products. So if you want to side hustle, you know, that's kind of our major interface. Okay. Well, I will, uh, I'll put those links uh, on our Thank website, uh, growmysalonbusiness.com and in the show notes for okay. today's podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast with Sam and you've enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. Uh, there's been a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom shared there. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcast app. So to wrap up, Sam Bricado, thank you for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you, Anthony. And everybody read Anthony's books if you haven't. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Great to have you here. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.